Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts. Society-13.com I like to listen. tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, kiddies. This is your librarian from the Wicked Library, wishing the two ghouls over at History Goes Bump a miserable anniversary. You know, History Goes Bump has been on for two years. Many more to come, I'm sure. Just be careful, ladies. One of these days, history might bump back. <laughs> Congratulations, Goose. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to the History Goes Bump Anniversary Special number two. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. Denise, can you believe it's been two years? No, I can't. That is just amazing. Oh, I just, I, I'm so excited that we're going into our third year now. I know it's been it's been a wild ride these two years, so I'm looking forward to see what number three is going to bring. Most of you probably have gotten a feel as you've binge listened and listened to the first episode, kind of where we were coming from. But just to do a little recap, we started this out as a little fun side hobby. Thought it would be, oh, some of our extra hours, we'll just kind of do this little hobby thing because I was biting at the bit to get back into something like this and I wrangled Denise into it who okay. really didn't want to do say it. You're using we pretty pretty <laughs> loosely there. Diane thought this would be a fun little hobby and I was like, uh, uh, I don't know, but it's been a great ride so I'm really glad she brought me along. And I knew you would be terrific at it and you are. And oh. I think people have been able to tell as we've gone along, we've both gotten more comfortable with the microphone, especially you. Yeah, since before you used to put a microphone in front of my mouth and it caused me to go completely silent, which for anybody who knows me outside of the podcast world knows that that's like almost a miracle. So this fun little hobby has basically turned into a second full-time job for us. Yes, it has. And part of the reason why is because of our fans. And it has been so important for us to make sure that we keep this as a very, no matter how many downloads we get or how many people we have listening, we want to make sure that we keep it on a very base level where we're connected with our fans and that we've grown a community who basically we consider you guys family and I think you feel the same way about us. And so we've always tried to make sure that we keep that no matter what. And hopefully we will be able to do that. We try to make sure that we follow you back on Twitter or on Instagram. If you send us some comments, we try to make sure we get commented back to you. If you post something in the Spooktacular Crew, we try to at least like it if we have the opportunity to. We do miss things here and there. If you come into the Spooktacular Crew, we want to make sure we welcome you. 
you're an executive producer, we want to make sure that we take care of getting you your rewards and thanking you for your giving the money to us. So we really tried to keep that family feel here. And that has been the biggest plus and the most wonderful surprise for us is the community that we've grown. Oh, absolutely. The, the HGB community is second to none. And what's really cool is that everybody's accepted here. We have people that may be a little more quirky than others, or maybe they're, they're introverted, or we have extroverts. Maybe people are into some weirder things than other people. Doesn't matter what your race is. Yeah. We have believers and non-believers and some people, everybody in between. Your orientation, it doesn't matter. Everybody's just accepted there. And I really like that. And what we've really gotten a feel for, too, is that we have each other's backs. And we got a great example of that in the Spooktacular crew because we've only ever once, which is pretty good, I think, in two years of doing this, had somebody come in who wanted to start trouble. And it was just, for us, it was really neat to see everybody jump up and say, wait a minute, what do you think you're doing? Yes, and we learned a lot from that we did. that interaction of to nip it to stop it right at the beginning and just let's get it out of here so that we do nothing to rock the boat of the amazing community that's on the, the internet and part of this, this whole thing. We have lots of people that we want to thank for helping us to get to where we are today. First and foremost, our listeners. If you guys weren't listening, there would be no show. In our first few months, we rarely got a suggestion for a location. We would be put it out there all the time. <laughs> and nobody. It was like crickets. Now, it, was it Lori, our truck driver, was a little bit worried the one day. She said, oh, my gosh, what happens if you guys run out of locations? <laughs> yes, it was. I believe so. <laughs> and I was like, OK, well, I already had a running list for my ideas, which I put to the wayside because we just started getting inundated with suggestions from people. I just took out another sheet of print paper. So it's blank on both sides. You can write small. I write about medium sized. I've already filled two front and back, and I've started a third one now with suggestions, which I need to get it into like Excel and make it more easily searchable and stuff. Because everybody's like, how do you keep track of that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so we have plenty of suggestions, and that's because of you guys. I counted yesterday, and we already have at least 100 suggestions that are not on the calendar yet, and our calendar is filled through December. The other really cool thing about our listeners is not only have they given suggestions of place to go, but many of them have been willing to share their personal experiences with us. And so we've had those to share and to build off of as well. Yeah, I th it all started with Freya sending us that really long letter. And we're like, well, would you like to come on the show? And sure enough, and then we've had you guys just in your comments and sharing your true life ghost stories. It's been great. You have truly helped to shape the show. And again, just kind of going along with that, Diane, they've also shared the show with other people. They've shared their own pictures. They've co-hosted episodes, like you said, and they've also helped with the research. So we would not even be close to where we are today without all of you. And I mean, I know we sound like a broken record, but we are very, very deep felt gratitude to each and every one of you. Whether you've listened to a few shows or you've listened to all of them, we just we we really appreciate all of you. And many of you have helped us on the financial end of things. We're thankful for that. We've met many great podcasters as well. Thanks to Chris and Joe at the Curioso podcast, Sam and Jake at Just a Story, Dan Foytick at The Lift, and Dan's actually had dinner with us as well at our own home. Yep, he's been in the studio. Ooh. The podcasters at Society 13 Podcast Network, Patrick Keller at the Big Seance Podcast, who we got to meet in person at the Haunted America Conference, 
Eric at Most Notorious, P.S. McKay and Elliot Gladstone at Entwined Podcast, Tanner and Eric at Legends, Myths, and Whiskey for their support this last year. It's just really neat to meet podcasters that are willing to help you out, and we've helped them out, and it's just a nice little back and forth. We've had really symbiotic relationships with them. And to expand on the research topic, we're very grateful to all of those that stepped in to help us out on the research crew this last year. And this is a group of people that really helped us transition to the place where myself and Diane can spend more hours researching. And if not for that research crew, we would not have been able to bring you six episodes every month. Now that group is defunct because you guys have all pitched in to help out with the research, and many of you have made the scary jump into being on air with us. It's not easy. We are very rare in the podcast world. There are not many podcasts that will invite their listeners to co-host and be guests. Thank you to Sharon Spungen, Bob Sherfield, Stephen Pappas, Philip Childers, Ann Student, Leanna Sapien, April Rogers-Crick, Lana John, Freya Porter, Diane Moores, Lindsay Smith, Richard Schaefer, Jessica Bell, Kristen Swintek, Rin Davenport, Mariessa Dobrik, Jesse Harms, Amy Connor, Rachel Hoare, Whitney Land, and Jenny Watt for being part of the research crew this past year. And I hope we got everybody. If we missed you, we apologize. That was a lot of people that stepped in to help us out, and it was really greatly appreciated. To expand on the sharing of the show that you guys have done, we have grown by leaps and bounds. And we thought it'd be kind of fun to look at some of those numbers. I hope it doesn't come off as egotistical, but it's just exciting for us to see where we've come to. In October of 2014, when we launched, we had less than a thousand downloads for the whole month. And we were super, super excited about it. (laughs) We're like, wow, more than mom and dad and our family are listening. Yes. As of the end of September 2016, we will have hit a total of over 830,000 downloads. In two years, you guys have helped us reach nearly a million downloads. And we have no doubt that the goal that I have set for us to hit a million at the end of December will be achieved. And when I put that number down on a piece of paper, because what happened is, and this is important for you guys, especially some of you young people, if you want to make goals in life, put it down on paper somewhere where you can look at it every day. I guarantee you it will help you accomplish it. So I do that. And I put down on a piece of paper last year that at the end of December of 2015, I wanted to hit 100,000 downloads. We hit over 200,000 downloads. So we doubled what I wanted, what had been my goal. So I told Denise, if we doubled that, I'm going to put a million down on this piece of paper. And she kind of went, don't you think that's a little bit of a big number to put down on there, Denise? And I was not correct because (laughs) it's looking like we're heading that way. And then we had some fun stuff that's happened along the way. Last October, iTunes featured us along with several other paranormal type shows in a collection called Scary Stories that has remained on the front page of iTunes to this day. And that was exciting because we're on there with Jim Harold has been doing podcasting since 2007, I think. And he's got his paranormal podcast up there, Campfire up there, which I love. Lore is up on that list. Astonishing Legends. So we were just sitting there going, wow, us little nobodies down here got put into that list. I don't know how, but it was really amazing. 
And it was kind of fun because when you look at the list, all of the icons are a little bit darker, a little <laughs> bit scary. You know, they kind of have like creepy stuff on them and just a little bit more of the creep factors there. And then you have our little logo with the little ghost going boop and dropping the book. And so I just love it. It's just kind of like right there in the middle of it. Which I think is probably why we got that one <laughs> review where somebody went, I wasn't too sure about this show. They thought it might be a little kid show, maybe. They were like, nope, it's not. It's just two 12-year-olds in adult bodies, I guess. So I know some people get down on iTunes because it's iTunes and they seem to be the giant on the block and it's hard for other podcast things to get out there. But really, iTunes is who started podcasts. So and they've been great. So thank you to them for plucking us out of obscurity. And there was one time that we were left a really horrible review that was, I don't mind if you want to make comments about you don't like the way you know, the content of the show, the way we have it organized or our audio, we agree it did suck for a while. But when you have people who are getting on and saying other things that are inappropriate, I went right to iTunes and they took care of it and removed the review. So they are really great that way. And then we have to also send out a huge thank you to the podcast Bizarre States and Jessica Chobot for continuing to keep us out of the shadows when November rolled around. After being recommended on that podcast, we rose to number seven out of all the history genre podcasts and made it to 162 out of all podcasts on iTunes in November of 2015. Being in the top 200 is no easy feat with thousands and thousands of podcasts out there. That was a really fun ride last year. I really loved that. I know. It was like, here we go. And all of a sudden it was like, boom. But there was like this huge spike and we're like, what the heck happened? And that little spike and storm that rolled in was named Jessica. That is true. And I guess we just had somebody come into the Spooktacular crew and said, hey, did you guys know you were mentioned on Bizarre States? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is one show I think I haven't heard of before. So I go and look it up and I see it's part of the Nerdist Network. And I went, holy cow, that's a huge network. And then when I listened to the episode, they were so nice and sweet about talking about us. I mean, I just, we played it for our parents, even Jessica. <laughs> So that's how excited we were about it because it was like, oh, my God, listen to these people talking about us. So it was great. And what it did for us was great. And of course, this was before everybody figured out that, hey, true crime is where it's at. I cannot believe how many true crime podcasts have been launched in the last year. And pretty much all of them have ended up over in the history category. So trying to stay anywhere at the top there is very, very difficult. We have managed to stay in the top 40 pretty much for the rest of this year. So that's been really cool. And by the way, Jessica, when you had asked Bowser about, you know, or he had said that when we get off the, the network, all of a sudden we turn into like cussing sailors. Not true. To expand on the financing of the podcast, you guys have just been amazing. When we started, we made the decision to not allow ads or sponsors on the show. And that's because we truly believe in the indie spirit that podcasts initially started with. To both of us, podcasts are so much better than radio. And part of the reason was because at least when I was listening to podcasts early on, there wasn't a lot of ads running on them. And I know some people don't care about it. I hate ads and I fast forward through them. I just, I abhor them. And I hate the fact that on my cable TV that I'm paying a ton of money for every single month, I'm having to watch ads on there too. So I really abhor it when a podcast asks you to donate and runs ads. To me, you should be doing one or the other. That'd be like PBS asking for money and then running a bunch of ads too. I personally think that podcasts are so much better than radio because you can get that personal feel and it's something that you can listen to whenever you want to. You don't have to just listen to it live. But it seems like every podcast that finally gets traction and gets popular has gone to being like radio and running ads. 
We have turned away many inquiries because as far as we're concerned, our audience is not for sale. When I listen to ads that are on other podcasts, I think to myself, what does that ad have to do with the podcast that it's on? Well, mattresses kind of have to do with haunted history since a lot of people feel ghosts on their bed, but we still don't want them on our podcast. (laughs) That's true. Now, hosting a podcast costs money. Putting on a quality production costs even more money. We knew that if we started this thing, we had to stick to a budget because we don't make a lot of money in our full-time jobs. And so what we did is we went with the cheapest hosting we could find and we shared a mic as we've told you guys previously and we used an old program to record. But the really interesting thing is about the same time that History Ghost Bump started, a startup called Patreon also started. And I started looking at it and went, hmm, this seems like it'd be a good way for us to help earn some money to help pay for the show. And when we started with Patreon, it was in beta. There wasn't a whole lot of tricks to it. It was kind of clunky, but I stuck with it. And we've been with Patreon now for almost two years. I know a lot of podcasts are just now starting to get on board with it, but we've been with them for two years. If you go back and listen to our earliest podcast, you'll hear us talking about it. And slowly over time, as you guys donated either that way or through PayPal, we've been able to upgrade our equipment. And so you probably noticed that we went from sounding really crappy to not so crappy to now I think we're sounding pretty good. And And I I do want to give a shout out to my co-host here, Diane, because her countless, countless hours of trying to figure out a way for good sound, of trying to get the words just right, to get the research, all her hours on social media to make sure that you all get answered, because I try the best I can, but I cannot have my phone at work. And so I just really want to give a shout out to her for everything she does behind the scenes to make this happen. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And I will tell you guys, because I know there's a lot of you out there that have your own podcasts, or maybe you're thinking about starting a podcast. Obviously, you can tell from us, you don't have to have a lot of know-how in order to do it, because we are not technically gifted. I've had to learn a lot of this as I've gone along, and it's been a lot of trial and error, and we thank you guys for sticking with us through our growing pains. But we're not using very expensive equipment right now. If people tell you that you have to get a $200 or $300 mic to do a podcast, no, you don't. A lot of it has to do with the sound editing. So don't think just because you can only afford, I'm going to tell you right now, we have three microphones and we got all three for under 50 bucks. So don't let that deter you from doing something. The mixer board that I use, that's also pretty cheap. So don't think that you have to have a lot of money to get started or even to maintain a good podcast. A lot of it comes down to what you do behind the scenes to fix things and make it sound better. Exactly. And the only padded walls I want to see around this house is down the road when Diane needs to put me into a room. But padded walls kind of frighten me. Yeah, we don't have padding on the walls or soundproofing booths or any of that stuff. So you don't have to do all of that to have a really quality podcast because I I think we've gotten to a place where we sound pretty quality. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, it depends on what you're going for. We're not going for a cut and dry Mm -hmm. radio um, NPR type production because we like the fact that our listeners get to know our, our pups because of jingling collars and you know, and they're like, what was that? And they think they're hearing haunted stuff and find out it's just the dogs, you know. And so so that's part of what we wanted to have with our podcast. So another thing I can say is make it yours. Don't be like everybody else. Make it who you are because it's your voice. And you, know, you don't want to sound like somebody else. You want it to be who you are and what you're giving to your listeners. 
That's a great point, Denise, because I think that's sometimes why we get some of the comments. And I mean, we've gotten some really angry emails or comments from people. And I've always been like, gosh, why are they so angry or mad at us? We're just putting out a a couple of chicks in an office putting out a little podcast that we put together. Why are they so mad? I think it's because people listen to other podcasts and they want you to be like that podcast. And if all podcasts sounded the same, it would get really boring. So we have taken some suggestions that we've gotten and rearranged things. But we also decided this is the podcast we want and this is not going to change. So what I ended up doing that was one of our growing pains is I went back in and the main description that goes out to all of the podcast catchers that describes our show, I made sure to change it so that we put in there our audience as part of the show. So we are going to be reading their comments and their emails and sharing their experiences and stuff. So if you don't want to listen to that, that's part of the show. So... And we haven't, I don't think we've gotten a lot of comments. Other, we've gotten a couple after that. But I think if people read the description, if you're going to complain about it, well, it says it in the description. So, but like you said, Denise, that's how we wanted the show to be. So we've made it ours that way. Yep. So because of the donations that we've gotten after several months, we were able to move up to the next storage level over at Libsyn so that we could make the shows longer and have more shows. So that's been great. So we've been able to bring you more of that. And at this point, through one-time donations that we've been getting and the recurring monthly donations of our executive producers, we have hit our next goal of $600 a month. It took us two years to get here. So for those of you who are on Patreon and you get really upset because it's taking a while, it took us two years to get to the $600 level. But because of that, Diane was able to give up one of her, her other jobs so that she can spend more time researching more time taking care of the editing and spending time on the show. And that means we also get to give you an extra episode every month. So big announcement. You've been getting six episodes every month. Now you will be getting seven episodes every month. And I could tell you right now, not many podcasts are bringing you as much as we had been up until this point. You're lucky on a lot of podcasts if you get one a week, two a month. So six was pretty cool. Now it's going to be seven. seven. And Diane, if they want to get to eight, what is our next goal? $1,200. So cool. when we hit $1,200 a month that's coming in recurring, we will move up to eight episodes. We had said a while back that we would hope to eventually get to a point where we were bringing you 13 shows a month. And that was our ultimate goal. And then I started looking at the calendar and going, well, we try to do three or four bonus podcasts for the executive producers every month. Even doing this full time, both of us, it would be kind of hard for us to research properly and put on a really good production to do 13. So we figured our ultimate goal is going to be 10. We liked 13 because it's Denise's favorite number, but we landed on 10 is what we're aiming for eventually. And if you really want, you can blame Mickey Mouse for that. Because if we were both going full-time, we could probably hit 13, but I don't want to leave my job. So I'm not going to be going full-time with the podcast. Our goal is to get Diane full-time, and this will just be another part-time thing in support of the podcast. But my time will be more part-time, even though we're doing it full-time as a team. And full disclosure on how we came up with those amounts, it's basically because that's what it would take for me to quit some of my housekeeping. So when we hit those different levels... I'm able to give up what I'm doing for my house cleaning business and put it towards this. So that's full disclosure on where those numbers have come from. And then as we get into the upper echelon, then we get into fun stuff. So once we get to where I can do it full time, then we can start paying. We have a ton of researchers who are part of the Spectacular crew that can't find jobs when it comes to history. 
I would love to employ some of those people. So that's something we would love to do. We know you guys have been asking for us to try to do some kind of a conference or something, which costs a lot of money up front. So when we start getting into those upper echelons, that's something we'll be able to do because we'll be able to have the financial backing behind us. Because again, Denise and I just work little jobs. (laughs) We're just your little middle class people. So we can't finance big things like that without having the extra help. So And of course, when we start talking upper echelon, my brain starts going like crazy as our social director here. And I'm thinking (laughs) history goes bump cruise, you know, trips. It would be really, really fun. Yeah, we have a lot of great stuff that we would love to do and be able to put on for you guys and, and that kind of thing. So hopefully if we ever get into those upper echelons, we'll be able to do that kind of thing. But that's dreaming big. And we really want to thank you guys who have given us those one time donations who are donating on a monthly basis. If you've bought something from the Emporium, that has helped us as well. You really have made an incredible difference in our lives because it's not just about being able to buy extra storage for the podcast or equipment. This last year was a really tough financial year for us. Extremely tough. Yeah. As you guys have heard us share on the show, I had major surgery, which thank God we had health insurance. But even with the health insurance, we had $8,000 of that we had to cover ourselves. You know that we've had various health problems with Rafiki. Not only has her medicine cost us between $150 to $200 a month, but we were constantly having to go to the doctors. Then we had our scare where we almost lost her, which cost us several thousands of dollars. So just this last year on medical bills alone, we were spending $12,000. So to have that extra money coming in from you guys, it just, it really was a huge help to us. So thank you so much. You do make a huge difference for us. It's not just... You know, that coffee that you're giving up once a month makes a huge difference to us. So thank you so much for that sacrifice. Yes. And uh, don't forget, we also got a car totaled. And thank goodness there wasn't more medical bills with that one. (laughs) Oh, my God. I completely forgot about that, too. I didn't because I was the one driving the car (laughs) when I got pulverized by a Dodge Ram 1500 dual cab. Yeah. So it has been a hell of a year, but we haven't taken any breaks. So we just keep pumping them out for you guys. So thank you. Now, we have some other fun numbers to share with you guys. We have 600 members in the Spooktacular crew and nearly 1,100 likes on our fan page. And this is where we really want to give special thanks to Heather Williams and Josh Wood for helping us by being the admins to the Spooktacular crew. Just their time on their welcoming people, making sure that they accept their their request and also helping us kind of, I don't know if police is the right word, but just to make sure it's still a safe, fun community has been very, very appreciated. Yeah, because we have kids in there. And so we want to make sure that we keep the content so that it's not obscene or anything like that. And they've done a great job with that. Also, thank you to those of you who are in the Spooktacular crew that are so welcoming to everybody else coming in. I love watching the newbies go out and start welcoming people too. Absolutely. It's very cool that when you come into a group to have a whole bunch of people just jump on you when you walk in the door. Even if you're an introvert, and I know I'm an introvert, I don't like having a bunch of people jump on me when I walk in the door, but it sure makes you feel because I am a member of a lot of groups and most of the time you're just in obscurity and they don't know you. If you participate a lot that's how well we get to know you if you don't participate at all we don't really get to know you that well so the more active you are with us and going back and forth the better we get to know you because that's just how we get to remember you is repetition of your name and stuff and that being said remember if you 
put somebody into the group and they haven't requested to join, but you add them as one of our listeners, make sure you welcome them publicly so that we can all welcome them. Because if they haven't asked to join, then they might come in through the back door. We don't even know that they've they've been added to the group. And so make sure you do that so we can welcome them because we don't want anybody to go into obscurity if we can help it. Yes, because the only way we know that somebody is coming into the Spooktacular crew is if they ask because we get a notification about it. Otherwise, we don't know if they've come in, quote unquote, through the back door. We don't know that they're there. So just make sure you welcome them and make sure they want to be put in a group because I know I'm one of those people that I'm like, don't put me in a group. Yes, yes. Make sure that they want to before you add them. Better if you can have them just request themselves because then nothing gets missed. But the other thing is I was laughing when Diane said she's a an introvert and doesn't like people jumping all over her. My observations have been all these world introverts, when you get them on social media, they become the world's extroverts. So they seem to really like it in realms like the Spooktacular crew. I will try to be a little bit gentle if we ever have a conference. So Denise, we have produced 151 episodes. That's very, very cool. (laughs) Nine bonus casts that are in the free feed. Six road trip episodes. We might have done a couple because we're recording this before we go on our road trip. So we might have recorded a couple and put those up as well. And five specials. Super, super cool. That's a lot of content. Then we've got 40 something over in the bonus podcast area. That's the exclusive content. So a lot of production we've been putting out there. Hello, this is Victoria. Well, I was taking a ride on my lift tonight and it went bump. All of a sudden, I found myself here in a center of oddity and supernatural in central Florida. Cheeky lift. So, congratulations to Diane and Denise for two fun and spooky years of looking at history and those of us who haunt it. I can't wait for the Halloween special. I'll be listening and watching from right over here. <laughs> Now we decided to celebrate launching into our third year by holding a little contest, as you are all aware, a flash fiction contest for you listeners. And when you put stuff out there, you just never know what kind of response you're going to get. And I was like, God, I hope we at least get three because we want to have three winners. So please let three. And they trickled in slowly. And I'm like, okay, we we finally got up to three. I'm like, okay, well, we can have three winners because we've got three entries. And then they kept coming and coming and coming. So we had... 16 entries all together. Yes, we did. Yes. We want to send a thanks out to Candace Russell, Mark Shoemaker, Lindsay Morse, Holly Lemons, Anthony Collado, Atticus Wolfgram, Shelby Labrie, Michelle Tackett, Brandy Bledsoe, Heather Asiri, Michael Schultz, Lark Arrowwood, Leslie Pollock, Kathy Webb Thomas, and Lauren Dunn for your entries. We did manage to pick our three winners. It was very difficult. You guys did a great job. Basically, what we based it on was if they edited really well, if it was well written, if it was spooky, and if it kind of left us talking afterward. There were several that left us having a discussion afterward. And so that was if it kind of sat with us for a little bit. The third place was very difficult. So we went back and forth on that one quite a bit. What we're going to do is share those three winners in just a bit, but we're going to read some of the runner-ups before we do that. And just so everybody knows, the third place winner is going to be receiving a medal and an exclusive design t-shirt. 
Second place is going to receive a medal and an exclusive design long sleeve t-shirt. And the first place winner is going to receive a medal and the exclusive design on a hoodie sweatshirt. So pretty cool prizes. Yes. And speaking of exclusive designs, that's another thing that we haven't mentioned is that many of our listeners jumped on that contest too when we were looking for the exclusive design for 2016 that we would hand out for special prizes like this. And and that was a, a very enjoyable and difficult decision to make as well. And I have a feeling it's going to happen again because we'll be putting that contest out starting in November. And we're looking forward to seeing what you guys come up with. Rhonda Borgen is the one who created the one that we've ran through for 2016. We get to the end of the year that will be available up in the Emporium. So you can get that put on whatever you like. But we keep it exclusive for the year that we first have it. And then we put it out for everybody to use if they'd like. Yes. And I always have criteria that it goes for. So like last year, it had to say history goes bump, have a ghost and a palm tree. So I'm coming up with the criteria for next year. And we are going to be sharing some of the runner-ups also on our Christmas special when we read scary ghost stories around the campfire. So if you were one of the runner-ups and we don't get to your story this time, we will be reading it for the Christmas special. Yes, because like I said, again, thank you. They were really great stories. And I almost was hoping we would only have three, but that's not quite how it worked. (laughs) We thought we'd start things off with a fun poem written by Heather Issery. Poetry doesn't really fit in technically to the flash fiction category, but we said, hey, it's our rules, so what the heck. And we really enjoyed the poem and we wanted to share it with everybody. You might notice that it has a certain cadence to it that you're going to recognize. The scratching. There is a scratching at my front door, which has definitely been done before. The moon hides beyond the clouds and falling water the only sound while in pajamas snugly bound after days of being tightly wound. Presently the air grows thick, the clock goes by without a tick, when suddenly there is a crick. Hello, said I, who is it? Mournful wind played answer deep, air grows heavy and floorboards creep. So thought I, at least I think, that no one here has gone to sleep. Flinging open the sturdy door, watching raindrops flood the floor. But only stillness, nothing more. This isn't funny, said I, less confident than before. This again, I'm pretty sure, has definitely been done before. The scratching so persistent at my door reminds me of long-forgotten high school lore. The one about the bird, no less, has definitely been addressed sometime during adolescent mess, pushed to memory with the rest. Turning wildly to address the scene, while chill night air comes in lean, I turn back now after having seen, surely none could be so mean. Yet no one at my door is there, and only wind played through the air. Like ghostly fingers twirling hair, I shut the door with silent care. Suddenly the lightning strikes, in blinding rage the air ignites. The world is brilliant in the night, and fades to black without the light. With candle lit to stay the dark, a lonely single little spark, patience worn thin to mark the lowly subject of someone's lark. While on the mantle shadows play, admits photos of forgotten day, making corners where monsters lay, light playing tricks as it may. The world is quiet save but rain, water crashing against the pane, In a lonely home on Raven Lane, a stilling silence felt in vain. There is more scratching at my door, more persistent than before. When suddenly the sound grows stronger, and hesitating then no longer, naught but darkness left to wander, nothing but ghosts left to ponder. Swinging open the doorway wide, all is night, no place to hide, expecting monsters of all kinds, thinking clearly I've lost my mind. And in to hear the monster walks, Dagger claws on floorboards knock, 
with tooth and fur in its stalks, golden eyes that clearly mock. Rain-soaked body and foul mood, beast with attitude imbued, in to hear the demon intrudes, but it's just the cat coming in for food. I close the door and into bed creep, shadow cease, nothing creaks. All is quiet, having lost mystique, my annoying cat goes to sleep. So lost am I in dreams by then, when my cat awakes, yellow eyes red, and watches the door with bayful dread, I'm awake again, sitting up in bed. There is another scratching at my front door, one I've never heard before. That was great, Heather. And the first time we read through that, we both giggled at the fact that it was a cat scratching at the door. Now we wonder, what's scratching there now that the cat's inside? Hmm. And this one from Atticus Wolfgram is one of our runner-ups. The Chimney. A crow fell from the chimney as my mother was cleaning the parlor and while I was at the kitchen table. We both stood up and walked over to the poor thing. It was dead, and the smell coming from it suggested it was probably from the summer. The stuffing we used to block the chimney from critters getting in soon began to slip and crumble over the bird. I went to the garage and got a shovel, picked up the debris from the chimney, and threw it all away. Soon it was nightfall, and we decided to light a fire. It seemed to dance and snap right in our face. My mom headed for bed as I stay fixated on the flames. A sound by the shed shook me from my trance, and I grabbed a flashlight and went to investigate. A man had turned over the trash cans and was eating the dead crow. I shouted at him to get off the property or I'd call the police. I closed the screen door as he headed back into the woods that lined our backyard. A chill went up my legs, making the hair on my neck stand on end. I went to the parlor and flipped on the television and soon fell asleep. The last thing I remember seeing the embers of the fire pulsing to their deaths. I later heard something on the roof and told myself it was raccoons. I then heard something coming down the chimney. A hand lurched through the threshold of the fireplace. I knew it was the man from outside. You stay away from me, I shouted. Soon his entire body was hunched over in the little chimney. He resembled a miner in the tight quarters under the depths of the earth. I noticed black feathers lined his mouth. Then I bolted awake. It was a dream. I laughed to myself and snuggled under the blanket. Then I heard the thud of boots hitting the inside of the chimney. Another runner-up in our contest was from Candace Russell. It's been a year since we moved into this home. It was a mobile home built in the 70s. We have two dogs now and my parents just installed motion-censored lights in the backyard right next to my window. Every night, my parents would take the dogs out to use the bathroom for bed while I lay in bed going to sleep. I could hear the dogs scurrying in the side door to get their treat before they ran to bed. The light outside my window would turn off. Thirty minutes later, the light would turn on and shine into my room. As I lay in bed, I would tell myself, it's just a raccoon running through the yard. After a few weeks, I finally looked out my window. It was not an animal. There was a little boy standing there in my yard. He was young. He looked like he was about five years old. He was wearing a yellow shirt and overalls, holding a teddy bear. He saw me. He looked right at me. I couldn't move. I was so shaken. It looked like he wanted something. He pointed to the corner of the house. Then a dark shadow appeared right next to him and they both disappeared. I couldn't shake the feeling that I had to look under the house the next day. As I moved the panels, I heard a little voice saying, Please dig. I found a shovel and just started to dig. It didn't take very long before I found a very shallow grave containing a child's skeleton. As I took a step back, I was pushed over. I saw the black figure again. I could feel the anger radiating off of it. 
I was not supposed to find that body. The days that followed would become frightening. Every time I would walk into my room, I would get scratched by something that was unseen. Objects in my room would fly off the shelves at me. I would often find myself too afraid to walk into my room. The scratches were getting worse. The objects started to hit me harder. My hair was being pulled. Our dogs no longer wanted to go into my room and they would growl every time they walked past when no one else was around. It seemed as I was the only one being attacked and the figure was only around when no one else was home, except at night. I would wake in the middle of the night to scratching on the wall. Some nights when I woke, I could not move and I could not scream. There was a heavy weight on my chest. I started to pray every night and day. And then I started to catch the scent of my grandmother's perfume. Everything started to stop. I knew I was safe again, and I wasn't the only one to smell the perfume. My mom would ask me often if I had opened my grandmother's perfume because she could smell it. I told her that I couldn't even remember where it was for me to open it. I never told my family what had happened with the attacks. I only told my mom that my grandmother was watching over us and would keep us all safe. I moved out of that home shortly after. One day I was talking to my brother, and the little boy came up. He had described the same little boy in overalls holding a teddy bear standing in our yard. After I told him I'd seen the same little boy, we looked at each other in silence. We both knew we weren't just seeing things. Nothing was ever mentioned of it again. After moving out, I did not have any more encounters with the black figure. I had only seen the little boy one more time. He was smiling, said, Thank you. And he disappeared. We found out there was a man who lived on the land that was believed to have taken the lives of a few children in the 1800s. Before they could find out what he did with the bodies, he committed suicide the end. That was very good, Candace. Thanks so much for contributing that to the contest. This runner-up is the top runner-up. It was between this one and the one that we're about to read that was our third place winner, and we'll explain at the end of the reading of the third place why that one edged this one out. So, very, very close on this one. Yes, it was. This runner-up, Lark O. Arrowwood, Lucy's Closet. On my childhood summer visits to Detroit, I always shared a room with my cousin Lucy. I slept on the trundle that rolled out from her day bed. We would raise the trundle up to regular bed height. Sometimes her little brother Anders would join me on the trundle, or their Great Dane would sleep sprawled between the two beds. My cousin's family home had been built in 1929, and her parents had purchased it in the early 1980s. The house was narrow with two stories and a basement. It had black and white tile in the kitchen and bathroom, wood floors, and a wrought iron railing on the stairs. The first floor of the house consisted of a small kitchen and nook at the back, a dining room that opened up into the living room that contained, on the far end facing the front door, the stairs to the bedrooms and bathroom upstairs. Lucy's room was at the back of the house, farthest away from the stairs, across from her parents' room and next to her brother's. Her room was painted in eerie key lime green that had a cut glass light fixture on the overhead light that made mesmerizing geometric patterns in the ceiling. Her closet was in the corner of her room on the same wall as the door. It was very small, and the door matched that of her room, wooden with a little clear glass knob shaped like a gem. The doorknob on her bedroom door was always a little loose, with a latch that didn't work and an old-fashioned keyhole whose skeleton key was long lost. One of her windows overlooked the street, and one overlooked the funeral home next door. She always kept her bed to one of the two walls closest to the door, in the opposite corner of her tiny closet. She kept her overhead light on all night, and midnight, Motown radio played through till dawn. 
We read books, drew pictures, and made up stories as we talked and whispered into the early morning. I am not sure when exactly it started, but I began to catch Lucy staring at her closet door from time to time. I would look up from my book and see her peering at it over the top of hers, as if she were watching something. I don't know whose idea it was, but not long afterward, we started to make Ouija boards. It was almost compulsive. We always drew them on the sidewalk with chalk or burnt sticks and used a cut piece of cardboard or jar lid for a planchet. Early on, we received a message from a girl called Sarah, who quickly became a recurring character in all of our make-believe and Ouija sessions, although we never actually learned much about her. We would scare ourselves during the day and scuff the boards with our shoes and run home when it got to be too much. I thought it was just silly fun, a diversion for the humid afternoons, made up stories about a mysterious dead girl. Until the day I broke Lucy's arm. We were dancing around and in a frenzy of whirling and kicking, I kicked her foot out from under her. Lucy fell backwards and broke her arm. I don't remember being that close to her, but the guilt was overwhelming and she was rushed to the hospital with her parents. My aunt returned from the hospital in the evening to care for me and Anders while my uncle stayed with Lucy. For the first time in my life, I slept in Lucy's room alone. I cried a little about her arm, raised the trundle up to its full height, and then turned off the lights and the radio and fell asleep. I awoke suddenly with Lucy standing close to my bed. In the darkness, I could feel her furious breath on my face. Lucy, I said, I am really, really sorry. I didn't mean to hurt your arm. No response from her except a sharp exhale. I reached out to her and felt her small hand. It was ice cold. She pulled away from me, still angry. I'm really sorry, Lucy, really sorry. When I woke again the next morning, I found Lucy asleep on the couch downstairs, her arm encased in a light purple cast. I sat down on the floor by her and shook her shoulder gently. Are you still mad at me, Lucy? I really, really am sorry. She blinked at me groggily in the morning light. I'm not mad. I asked why she had slept on the couch if she wasn't mad. Lucy's eyes got big and she glanced up the stairs. Daddy didn't want me to wake you up, so he put me to bed down here. Ella, you didn't hurt me. It was her. It was Sarah. Sarah? Yes, she tries to hurt me sometimes, Ella. She hates me. She lives in my closet. I don't know where Sarah came from, how she died, or if she's even a little girl at all. We speculated once that she may have fallen down the laundry chute from the second floor to the basement, or she may have come over from the neighboring funeral home and become attached to the room. I do know the anger that I felt in her presence that night scared me, and I also know that we never slept with the light and radio off again. In time, we stopped talking about Sarah. I returned to the house recently as an adult. When my aunt asked which room I wanted to stay in, I chose Anders. Standing in Lucy's old doorway that evening, I looked toward the closet, and with a small shudder, I saw it creak open slightly. I shut her bedroom door quickly and went back downstairs for dinner. Sometimes it's better not to know. Sometimes it's better to let the past sleep. Our third place winner is Holly Lemons. She will be receiving a medal and a t-shirt with our 2016 exclusive design. They came by torchlight. What have I done? She asked in a whisper. They chanted of evils. They must be mistaken, she told herself. Beating on her door, they demanded she come willingly. She couldn't move, couldn't speak. Only this morning she was at the river with her wash. 
Just this afternoon, she broke bread with her son. Now the evening is here and they are calling her witch. Was it the entire village? There were voices of women and children mixed in the tumult of men. For a moment she questioned herself. She wondered, have I forgotten what I've done? But as she searched her memory, she could not, for the life of her, think of any wrongdoing by her hands. She was not a witch. As she huddled in the corner, her thoughts went to her son in his bed, sleeping soundly, dreaming little boy dreams and the fancies of three-year-olds. She feared for him, but was too afraid to wake him. Would the commotion stir him? She held her breath for a moment and hoped that this would pass and he would be none the wiser. Maybe this was a dream, but as she breathed out, she knew that was not the case. What was it they were charging her with? What was it that they were saying she did? Come out, witch. You must answer for your sins. Her paralyzing fear was becoming too much. As she strained to control herself, she was trying to think logically. What are her options? Is there an escape? She focused her ears all around her tiny house. No, there was no escape. They surrounded her. Could she hide? Not likely. She had no closets nor cupboards to conceal herself. And even if she had, it would not be difficult to find her. She was quickly running through the labyrinth of her mind, trying to think of something, anything, that could save her and her son. She found not. It was then that she realized that she could not stay huddled in this corner for much longer. They will be knocking down her door soon. They will drag her out if needed. This thought brought a rare emotion to her. It rumbled in her belly. Her throat pricked with it. This rage was too much for her. Without thought, she stood on her feet. Her clenched fists were telling her feet to move to the door. As much as she had been scared, she was now angrier than she'd ever been. She slowly moved to the door and placed her hand on the large wooden latch that held it secure. She wrapped her fingers around the edge, took a breath, and swung it open before she could rethink her actions. It was as if someone else had taken her over as she shouted at them with tears in her eyes, What have I done? They told her what they believed she was guilty of. Witch. They barked at her that she was the devil's child, but her ears were ringing with fright and anger and she heard none of it. As she looked around at all of the torch flames, she squinted to see past and looked at the faces of her accusers. It was no use. The fire against the night sky made it impossible to see anything past their heat. As two men grasped either of her arms, her legs quivered and relaxed. Had it not been for the men holding her, no, dragging her, she would have fallen right there. Suddenly she felt weak. More so, she felt ill. The wave of exhaustion and nerves forced the dinner she had eaten hours before back out of her body. She retched and it covered her bodice. The men jumped back but did not loosen their grip. As they drug her through the town, she could now see those that she once called friends among the crowd. As recent as this morning, they were tipping their hats and sharing in gossip. But those that they had gossiped about now stood beside them and shared revolt against her. It seemed she was the subject of gossip now. And the thought still rang in her mind, What have I done? As she was taking in the gathering of people, her mind raced back to her house. My son! Where is my son? I must be with him. But they did not turn around. They did not let her go. They only moved forward, all the while still shouting about her immoral ways and satanic doings. As she was about to attempt to wriggle free, she looked up and saw where they were taking her. The hangman's noose swung in the night wind, seemingly to chant along with the mob. It, too, appeared to think her guilty of this crime unknown to her. It was now that she knew she was facing death. As much as she wished it, this was not a dream. 
This was real, and she would die. Who would watch her boy? Would someone take him in, or were they going to get rid of him, thinking him the offspring of something evil? She struggled, but they forced her up the steep steps leading to the platform where her life was to be taken. As the noose was strung around her neck and tightened, she weakly asked one more time, What have I done? It was then that they pointed at the ground below her. Look, take in your wickedness, for God is the judge of your actions. As she stared at her son's body, lifeless and bloody, she didn't even try to defend herself as it would do no good. She didn't ask what had happened or who had done this. It didn't matter. Nothing mattered. She could no longer speak. She did not want to breathe. She did the only thing that made sense. She jumped. So one of the reasons why this sat with us a little bit longer is we were trying to figure out, had somebody else done this to her child and they were blaming her for it? Or had she actually done something to her own child? Yes, because it left that wow, like that wow, like, okay, it was just so real of her wanting to protect that child and then to think that she might have actually been the one who killed it. But you're still not really clear. So it leaves that whole conversation up to, well, I think she did kill it. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know if she did. Was it something else? And so it was very, very cliffhanger-ish. Yeah, because we weren't sure. Did she jump because, well, her child's dead now, which was her whole life, so she had nothing to live for anyway? Or did she think maybe she had caused some harm, and so she was killing herself because of that? Yeah, so she was punishing herself for harming her child, and so that is for you to decide. (laughs) Well, Holly probably knows the real reason, but it had us really talking about it at the dinner table. Yes, it did. And this is our second place winner, receiving a medal and an exclusive design long sleeve t-shirt, Lindsay Morse. Symphony number eight. Among the great works of classical music, Florian's Symphony No. 8 has a rather infamous history. It is said that Johannes Florian composed this masterpiece during the massacre at Hargrave, and it was the screams of the slaughtered innocents that inspired him to write it. Day after day, he would sit in his tiny music room, overlooking the town square where the witch hunters plied their trade, torturing and burning those accused to save their souls. 
The first performance of Symphony No. 8 is also infamous, as Florian somehow persuaded, or bribed as many scholars believe, the witch hunters to conduct their work as an accompaniment to his orchestra. Naturally, the performance was met with shock and horror. The church quickly excommunicated Florian, and the government ordered a burning of all his works, including this most horrible of symphonies. Somehow, a copy of the full score managed to survive the purging, and the piece has been played a handful of times, most times without the composer's intended accompaniment. More and more orchestras have taken to playing Symphony No. 8 during Halloween concerts sans torture. There has, however, been more than one occasion where torturers and executioners playing their craft has shared the same stage with conductor and orchestra. Of course, performing the symphony as Florian intended is very much illegal and immoral, but there is an underground movement of enthusiasts who seek to understand and experience the composer's true vision. There is only one known recording of the work complete with grim accompaniment, a slight scratchy recording that has been copied and passed through the black market channels and deep web torrent sites. Owning a copy of this recording, either physical or digital, is illegal in some countries, and those found in possession of it can be subject to prison terms of up to 10 years. Consensus among those who have heard the complete rendition say that the unaccompanied version of Symphony No. 8 is not on par with the work as performed in accordance with Florian's vision. The piece lacks a depth of tone and feeling when performed without the screams of the dying. Denise, I think I'd heard somewhere, I don't know if it was some oddity thing, but there was a Hungarian song that had been written that was a symphony, a Hungarian symphony, I think was the country of origin, that would cause people to commit suicide after they listened to it. And this story reminded me so much of that that I was like, is this really fiction? Is it possible this could be real? And I, I literally look, tried to look it up because I'm like, is there such a thing? Maybe that's true. It sounded very true. That, and I thought the same thing when I read it. Yeah, so it definitely left us with a little something after that. And a little drum roll, please. This is our first place winner, and it goes to Shelby Labrie for her short story, Crossroads. So she will be getting a medal and an exclusive design hoodie. 
I hated the smell of fresh dug earth. Farmers and gardeners will tell you it's the smell of rebirth, new life, and spring. Those aren't the things that come to my mind at the scent. Death. The final sleep. The end. That's what dirt smelled like to me. Maybe I'd been to too many funerals, or maybe I'd been buried alive in a previous life. But it was not comforting thoughts that filled my mind as the scent hit my nose. The last ray of moonlight shined down, casting a shadow from the mound of piled dirt into the hole from which it had come. Dirt caked my hands and stuck under my fingernails. The velvet bag in my hand that held the precious ingredients now had flakes of dirt on it as well. I looked at my watch, watching the glow-in-the-dark hands click closer towards my demise. I sat back on my heels and searched the ground for my knife. My hand hit the cool blade and shook as I picked up its weight. Gently, I placed the velvet bag into the hole. Blowing out a breath to steady myself, I looked skyward, waiting for the darkest moment of the night to crest. The in-between, when the world is blank and space and time are invalid. Squinting, I looked out in front of me, trying to make out the dirt road. It was swallowed by the darkness. Same when I glanced to the left, right, and behind me. I couldn't even make out the edges of the crossroads in the between lightning darkness where the night dies and morning is born. The knife's edge bit into my flesh and I gasped at the pain. Blood welled and began its descent into the black abyss. I quickly started scooping dirt back into the hole, blood and dirt mixing into a pasty mud as I went. The Latin phrase raced across my tongue easily from weeks of practice. My voice was powerful, and then the silence that followed, deafening. The light breeze blew across my skin, pulling wisps of my hair loose and tickling it across my cheek. Nervously, I tucked it back behind my ear, shifted my weight, and stood. The hair would pull loose again, and I would continue to tuck it back, never noticing my actions. I was too focused on the objective in front of me. He stood there patiently, or so it seemed, but his jaw muscle would tighten from time to time, allowing for the tension to show through. He raised one perfectly sculpted brow at me and smirked. Well, darling, what'll it be? I do have other appointments to get to. I bit my lip to gain some control. We both knew what my answer would be. After all, I had summoned him here, but now with him in front of me, I didn't want to appear overly desperate. Ha! <laughs> I laughed to myself. Desperate. What else could you even label the disparity I dipped to? What other option did I have? Even still, when dealing with the devil, never show your hand. Straightening to my full height, I lifted my gaze to his brilliant blue eyes. Lucifer, the fallen soldier of God, Prince of Hell, I offer my soul in exchange for unending fame. His black feathers ruffled, a smirk lifted the corner of his plump, perfect lips, and flames danced in the depths of his drowning cool eyes. Deal.
His body was warm, chiseled velvet as he stepped to me, his arms wrapping around to pull me into his embrace. His fingers snaked up into my hair as his wings surrounded us. Warmth spread as his lips met mine. It sped through my body, igniting me. My hand slipped along his waist and stroked the soft feathers resting there. He deepened the kiss and the warmth increased. His lips were increasingly becoming hotter. Everywhere my skin touched his was rapidly heating up. I tried to step back from his grasp, but he held tight. The heat became burning pain, and still he deepened it. I released a gasp, and his hard body shook with a deep, rumbling chuckle. The searing heat raced through my body, congregating at my heart. I couldn't breathe around the heat and the pain. Tears pricked my eyes. I struggled against his iron grip. He towered over me, pinning me to him all the while engulfing my body in his hellfire. My skin started to blister at my contact points with him, my hands and lips a dark horror of red peeling skin. Smoking and crackling, I could smell my own flesh cooking under his lover's attention. I gagged and he pulled his head back. Lips parted and panting, he smirked at me once more. I tried to push away again, my hands hit his chest and they burst into flames. I screamed in pain and agony, tears streaking down my blistered face. The flames ate up my arms, consuming my flesh, leaving cracked, blackened char in its wake. It fanned out and covered my entire body, and I released a silent howl as the last of the flames died down, leaving only a charcoal shell of my body behind its wrath. My body stung with the echo of heat and flame. Lucifer stepped back, still smiling, and looked over his work. His shoulders tensed as he brought his big black wings behind him. They stretched out above and behind him, massive and ominous. They were blacker than the now dawn brightened sky. He flexed and fixed that icy blue stare on mine. His voice bellowed with power as he spoke. Mortal, you have come here to the crossroads in the space between time to choose a path that was not yours to take. You will be granted the unending fame you so seek, but no one will remember your name. From this night forward, you will be remembered only in hushed voices of those who pass here. A quick story to scare their friends, a lesson from parent to child, to be grateful for the life they have, not the life that they believe they deserve. He paused as his great wings swung forward, sweeping a blast of chilled night air across my body. My blackened skin blew away, swirling and eddying around me, then settled at my feet. Glancing down, my body was once more whole and unmarked. I held my hands out in front of me to examine. They had a faint, translucent glow. But I don't understand, I murmured. Exactly, was the devil's cool response. And then he was gone. And so was I. Night after night, I pace in the crossroads, crying and lamenting my selfish choice. My lonesome cries falling on unhearing ears. My pale, translucent face streaked with cold, unseen tears. I watch helplessly as motorists come and go, my selfish sacrifice forgotten, my name unremembered in history. Locals know not to pass on the crossroads during the time between, when the night dies and the day is born. For that is when the lady in white is roaming free, looking for her never-ending fame. And that was really well written and very creative as to the origins of our lady in white. Thanks so much for that, and congratulations to you, Shelby, for being our winner of our 2016 Flash Fiction Writing Contest. Those were amazing stories. Thanks so much to you guys for contributing those. Congratulations to the winners, and thanks for tuning in to this anniversary special. 
We hope you guys feel loved because we absolutely love and adore you. And we are looking so forward to what we're going to have together in the upcoming year. Lots of great stuff coming. And October is going to be a blast. Yes, it will. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. 